The Armist Inquisition, episode 280, on Sunday, the 14th of May, 2023. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And tonight we are delighted to be joined by author, uh, historian, researcher, David Elkington. How are you doing, David? Can you hear us? I'm fine, thank you, guys. How are you guys? Excellent. Good. Yes, we were just talking before we went live about our recent visit to um, some of the places you reference in the book. Uh, the book in question being this one here, The Ancient Language of Sacred Sound, The Acoustic Science of the Divine. Mm. What a, it's a wicked cover, that, David. Mm. It's very sacred geome- ge- geometrical. <laughs> I have to say, Inner Traditions did a stunning job of it, I have to say. it was. Uh, I was really pleased when they, they showed it to me because... Um, I just was overwhelmed, actually. I thought it was really, really superbly well-designed, I have to say. They did a thoroughly good job overall, actually, and a really great company to work for, to be honest with you. And uh, it's it's difficult when, you know, you're referencing these incredible works of architecture like Shark Cathedral to be able to do that justice in a book cover in some way because these buildings are absolutely wild in the way they're put together and the, the thought that goes into it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, ideally, uh, uh, it would be great to have a a great big, you know, expense account and do a big book with lots of really glossy photographs showing, you know, the the greater detail of the sites and the effects of them, et cetera, et cetera. But, of course, uh, being practical and feasible, we we just – it couldn't be done. So uh, much had to be left to the imagination, as it were. Um, But then, of course – if you're in the right mood when reading the book, that's exactly what will happen. Well, entire books have been written on the subject of sharks. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Charpentier book in your work. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a good book, and uh, you know it, it, it's 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 quite revealing in many ways. Um, it, it's so sad that today um, history is divided into many um, separate um, departments. One might say. You've got, you know, what is labelled tersely by academics as fringe history, uh, and then you've got academic history, and then you've got the history of, you know, Hollywood and so on and so forth. But what I've learned is that there's really um, a lack of inquiry by a lot of um, the academic side of, of, of it all because they have to toe a particular line which I think is down largely to politics and funding. Uh, and you're not allowed to ask, ask sort of wider questions beyond the, the remit, beyond the conditional, mm. um, which is why I pursue a, a, an independent career, because it gives me the freedom to ask whatever I want. Um, and, yeah, you know, some, some things can be bonkers, but I think they have to be 
gone into to determine they're bonkers rather than just dismissed. Um, because you never know what's out there. You never know what's going to make a difference. Mm. Um, when the book first came out, uh, there were those who, who still dismiss it. They say, oh, it's all new age and all of that. And actually, when you read the book, and you know, when I wrote it, uh, new age was not in my vocabulary. Um, it's just not that. It's taking a completely different look at the old evidence. Um, and I defy anybody to tell me that the great cathedrals of the Gothic period, the pyramids well before them, uh, temples across the world, were not built for purposes of inducing specific kind of resonances in people's brains. Um, it seems to me to be pretty obvious. And I think it's obvious to, to a lot of people too. Yeah, I think uh, as soon as you start mentioning words like frequency and resonance, um, that is a cudgel that the academic world will beat you overhead with uh, because it's it's, yes. it's, it's it's become synonymous with the New Age movement and we're all vibrations, baby, and good vibes and all that sort of thing. Uh, yes, yes, quite. But, there's, but you, you reference a lot of sort of um, harder science like quantum, well, quantum physics and uh, theoretical physics and stuff like that in the book. I didn't get New Age vibes whatsoever. I got some esoteric vibes from it. That um, some of the stuff you were hinting at um, sort of suggests uh, like an occulted level of knowledge or esoteric knowledge that's going on there. Yeah, I think that's very much the case. Um, I, I'm glad you did get the, the New Age feel for it because uh, that would have been very sad. Uh, I would have clicked the off button at that point. Um, but um, but no, joking apart, um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, this is this is one of the arguments about a project I'm working on at the moment, um, which is kind of like an offshoot of resonance. It's to do with a discovery I made about 16 years ago in northern Jordan. And it's about, uh, you know, the earliest known Christian documents, which have come in the form of metal or lead books. Um Talking with Christians, etc., they 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 are very, um, particularly in the academic world, very quick to dismiss the whole esoteric idea of history and theology. But as 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 um, a scholar friend of mine said, if Christianity isn't esoteric, then what is it? Mm. You know, and the reason I bring up Christianity, of course, of course, it was at the centre of the Gothic cathedrals. And what we have here, um, when we look at the, the various elements that came to constructing the, the cathedrals, what we have here is a secret um, initiation, if you like, um, within the Christian priesthood that set Europe on the path to fundamental change. Um, and I say secret because the average education of you know of people in 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 europe in the middle age period was was much much less than our own um and you have these extraordinary places that saint bernard of clairvaux described as books in stone and literally that is what they are you open the great doors which are like the pages of a book you know it's like the cover of a book you 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 they're set on great hinges, and you open them. And then you enter into this four-dimensional world, which must have been absolutely fantastic to these people, because here they were, 
your average peasant working in the fields, etc., had to go to church on Sunday. And so they put on their best bib and tucker for a Sunday service, and they walk into a Gothic cathedral, newly opened, all fresh and bright, and hey, presto, bang, they're really clobbered by the light, the, the intensity of the sound, the resonance, the extraordinary stained glass windows with their wonderful, wonderful pigments. Um, and, you know, they must have been really, really hit by that. Um, and so, in a sense, these places are like, um, I guess they're the microchips of their day. They're sharing their information by inducing it to, 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 to appear within the brain, as it were, to then get people to uh, become more curious. It, 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 it provokes that kind of a, of a, of a, of a sensation. Um, and I say that on the, on the basis of, of, of a personal experience I had at Wells Cathedral many, many years ago, um, where uh, it was a Christmas time. Um, I was, I'd just come out of a, a relationship and it was very sad. And I walked up the stairs to the, the chapter house. Now, if you ever get the chance to go to Wells Cathedral, not far from Glastonbury, go into the, the, the chapter house because you have to go up these really time-worn steps to get into it. And it was about halfway up those steps that I was suddenly hit by the, the very majestic sound of a choir in practice for the New Year, sorry, for the Christmas um, concert. And I felt myself completely transport, uh, transported. I, I, I thought as if afterwards it was like a near-death experience. It's the only way I can describe it. Mm. And I came out of that completely stunned. And that's what set me on the track for the book. That's why I wanted to find out what had happened, why had it happened. And, of course, that then led to the question of why did they build this place, you know? And, um, yeah, it's been quite a journey. David, do you think we've kind of lost that skill set because I, I know <clears throat> as christians we're not really building those grand churches anymore but i know that there are a lot of i mean there's a, a new mosque near us which is quite it looks fantastic i don't know if the the kind of acoustics around a large scale monument such as that is 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 going to be taken into account by the other religions as well and all, all i really know is that our new churches, from a Christian point of view, tend to just be kind of boxes and not really... Yeah, really it's really sad. Mm. We've lost all of that um, knowledge. Uh, well, I say lost. We haven't really lost it. It's there, hence the re reason I've written my book. The problem is it's not being applied yeah. um, because it's seen now as being largely, as you've just said, esoteric. But... Mm. The, the priesthood, the, the people who are designing these churches, they, they have no regard for such things. We're now progressive. We're modern. We can do without all of that nonsense. Um, but, of course, that nonsense is basically what the building was for in the first place. It's very, very sad. Well, I mean, um, one thing we did know. lose, David, which you point out in the book, is the, the technology behind the stained glass at the, in medieval cathedrals. Yeah. Well, the whole thing, the whole, the whole technology of the cathedrals together in the medieval period is what I termed in the book uh, spiritual technology. Um, it was there to, to, to bring in this overall effect of, I mean, dare I say enlightenment? Um, 
because I mean, if you look at the cathedrals before the Gothic, we're looking at the Romanesque period. Beautiful places, but they've got very thick walls. Um, they're founded on the the, the round arch, uh, so you can only, in terms of the superstructure, have small windows because you've got to, you know, to, to build them big, you've got to therefore have very thick walls, and you've got to have small windows because otherwise the, the places will just fall apart. Mm. And then suddenly, after the Crusades, we have the introduction into Western Europe of um, elements of Islamic architecture, which is fundamentally where the beginnings of the Gothic come from. And we then have Abel Suger at Saint-Denis um, actually deriving from the Islamic um, um, code this new technique, which becomes known as the Gothic. As soon as Saint-Denis goes up, uh, suddenly there's this kind of a touch paper has been lit and, it, and it, it just, it burns like a raging inspirational fire throughout the whole of Europe. Mm. Next thing you know, you've got the Gothic arches. Now the Gothic arch is pointed uh, and the arch along with the ogive, which you'll see in the center of the nave of the Gothic cathedral, allows more weight to be distributed. So therefore you can create much larger windows. So the Gothic cathedrals suddenly go from being dark spaces to being completely light-filled spaces. They are kind of like giant crystals mm -hmm. because glass is a crystal. The light coming through it is, is, is astonishingly pure. And so in a sense, you have enlightenment. Um, people are going into these places for the first time and they're completely stunned and taken aback. And that's why... Christianity uh, maintained its foothold within Europe for such a long time. It's with the sheer effect of these places, you know, and, and we haven't looked at this um, as deeply as we, we should do. My book is a beginning, but it's only a beginning. Yeah, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, which would be good for people to hear about is Early on, you start mentioning the uh, Schumann frequency, which I was yeah. aware of. And this seems to be like you one of the main starting points for you, which then gets developed through the book. So tell us about the, the Schumann frequency and what it does. Well, basically, what you're looking at is Earth resonance. Um, the Earth actually resonates uh, at around about 32 hertz, or vibrations per second. So we're back to our good vibrations. So uh, hello, New Age. Here we are. <laughs> um, but... Um, you know, the Earth is actually um, hit like a bell by incoming cosmic waves from outer space. So in response to those, um, those, those cosmic waves, it resonates to a particular standard frequency, 32 hertz. Now, an octave of that is 8 hertz, which is approximately what the brain actually uh, resonates at during the day. So we are therefore connected to our planet. But this alpha frequency is something you go into at least twice a day when you go into or come out of sleep, okay? Now, the, the effect of Earth frequency, um, particularly the alpha frequency, um, is to basically widen your sense of consciousness. So it's like sort of taking a puddle of water, then taking a drop of oil and dropping it onto the surface. Suddenly, it just goes, boom, it, it reaches outwards. 
That's exactly what happens with the, with the brain and alpha, alpha frequencies. So that's why they say, you know, if you have a problem, you should sleep on it. And, 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 and this is basically what these places were, were um, built to, to, um, to provoke, to, to give us a sense of a, a wider sense of consciousness, a sense of connections between things. Except, of course, that in a sense, it wasn't just the, the, the wideness of God's kingdom and all of that, because that's what would have been preached at the time. It then extended into life in general, to science in general. And that's what, you know, changed Europe. That's what led to the Renaissance. That's what led to the Enlightenment. That's what led to the scientific sense of curiosity that, that, that has now developed our world into, into what it is. And, you know, we now have a world in crisis. We've got environmental problems here, there and everywhere else. And yet nowhere have I seen mentioned at all the idea of looking at resonances as an answer to to some of those problems, if not all of them, um, again it's kind of dismissed because you know it's not the accepted science um, of the day, um, and it seems to me to be very sad because half the reason we're in this problem is because we've separated ourselves so much from creation, from the earth around us. For too long now, we thought of ourselves as being superior. Um, whereas, in fact, we're neither above nature nor below it. We are part of it. And we need to start thinking more in those terms, it seems to me. Absolutely. Yeah, going back to frequency and resonance, so you mentioned that the cathedral builders were trying to harness the sort of natural frequencies like the Schumann frequency. So what did you find? How did you find that these frequencies were incorporated in different types of architecture? Well, it's really curious, you know, if you look at cathedral naves um, and you look at the, the way in which they're constructed, quite often you can see that actually they're built to what is called a standard standing waveform. Um, now, you'd say to me, you know, well, how would they have known that? Well, I'm not saying they objectively knew it, but I'm saying that they subjectively understood it. It seems to me that um, almost that, you know, in, in coming out of the, 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 the cave environment, coming out of the trees and becoming, becoming human, becoming uh, societal humans, the very first thing we know from archaeology that we built in, you know, constructing the, the, the societal environment wasn't shops, wasn't schools, um, it wasn't even our, our own homes. It was always the sacred place. And it struck me as to why. What, what's, the, what's the answer to this question? Now, in, in, in quoting a paper from Princeton University about some experiments performed in the early 90s, um, where the, the resonant frequencies actually took visual form uh, when smoke was introduced, we could see that they were linked to Earth frequency. And, of course, I talk about this in detail in the book. Was that it? Was that the experiment at West Kennet Longbarrow? Uh, yes, West Kennet at Newgrange in Ireland, Nauth, and then I took it on to do other experiments uh, across the UK and parts of the world, um, and and came up with even more conclusions. But going back to this, what what what's interesting is that 
it seems to me that as we came out of the cave environment, we took with us still the umbilicus. It had not been cut, so we were still children. We were still babes in arms. So we've retained that uh, naturally within ourselves. We've retained this sense of, of connection. So, of course, it was a kind of like, you know, the sacred place has become a place like where, where, where we have to maintain the connection. It's kind of like the telephone that, that keeps us in touch with Mother Earth, as it were. And, of course, this is what's become very much a part of ritual throughout um, Christian and, 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 and religious history per se, is a sense this, this need to go to the place of power. And, and this is at the heart of poetry, this is at the heart of inspiration, all the way across the planet, all the way through human history. And you talk about how the um, religious class, whether that be in Egypt or in Bronze Age Britain or wherever they would be, I don't know where you're going. Oh, you're not going to Lou, David. We can't see you. Does the dog want well, walking? You know. <laughs> does the dog have to walk? Yeah, I've had to let, just had to let my dog out. Aww. So, uh, yeah, she's a young spaniel. Um, a she's king, a lovely thing. A King Charles. A king Charles. Now, is there, yeah. is there a reason behind that? Are you a fan of Charles II, by any chance? <laughs> well, I actually call her a Cavalier King Charles III, if you know what I mean. Particularly with the, 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 uh, the, the coronation having just gone. So, uh, but, uh, no, she's a beautiful thing. But she's yeah. only six months old, so you can imagine. It's like having a, a young child around, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's she 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 keeps she um she makes me laugh. I love that, <laughs> you know. And again, you know, animals, um, the way we treat them, uh, or, or, you know, today is I it, I just still find it really awful that we still can't give them credit for being conscious living beings. Um, we have to be so superior in everything. It makes me angry. Do you think? Do you think part, think part of that comes from from Christianity in the Old Testament? What was the the line from Genesis? Was it replenish and subdue the earth, or something like that? That's right. Dominion Absolutely, it's 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 a massive part of the Judeo Christian heritage. Right. You know, the earth was given to us by God to to shepherd, but of course, uh, we understood it to be to do with as we like, and and look what's happened. Mm. Um, but, you know, other religions are equally as guilty in that sense. I mean, we only have to look at animal sacrifice through the years to see precisely what we've uh, achieved. And um, it just seems to me that the whole idea that in modern Western science, we only just realise that, that, that animals, dogs, cats, birds, that they can actually think that they have consciousness, that, in fact, they can see in colour. It's kind of like... Um, in a sense, I think in years to come, it will be the new racism. Mm. Do you think um, dogs might be psychic as well? Are you familiar with that Rupert Sheldrake yeah, book? Yeah, absolutely. I think Rupert Sheldrake's spot on there. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, you wouldn't have had the Egyptians, you know, um, treating them with the, the great reverence they did. Um, in Egyptian culture, if, if you stroked a cat, it would induce an... Uh, well, in fact, it still does. I mean, they, they, they have animals in hospital wards, because they can in induce an instant alpha wave effect, thus calming you down, de-stressing you. Um, in, in Egypt, therefore, that was known as being in contact with heaven. So that tells you that these people knew. Um, it's just that they explained it in a different language to the way we do today. My cat threw up on the stairs today. That induced a different emotion, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> 
yes, say no more. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, this is what's so extraordinary is that um, I kind of wonder sometimes if we live in a mind state universe, you know, that we, we've kind of dreamed it all up and that actually uh, the reality, the super reality beyond all of this is much more, in a sense, mundane, but in that super real, in that super real sense, you know? Uh, a bit like being stuck in the matrix. Um, and that's an interesting word as well, by the way, because matrix is a feminine. Um, and you'd think that with Judeo-Christianity and all of that, it's all based upon a, a, a patriarchal system um, where the feminine is not given enough credit. Um, and therefore, we'd be living in a matrix, but there's no such word in the English dictionary. Wow. So why do we call it a matrix? It, it, I find that really annoying. It's another downer on on ladies, you know. <laughs> yeah, they get a rough time in the in the Bible, don't they? The old ladies. <laughs> they do. It's so... be they've been excised an awful lot, um, and yet if you go to the cathedrals, um, it's fairly obvious that they're feminine inspired. Um, this is made very clear by St Bernard and um, by others who were behind the the founding of these places. And of course, you only have to go outside of Christianity and the sacred buildings of Egypt, let's say, or Bora Badur, Cambodia, in, in Thailand, and, and temples all over the world. They're mostly feminine places. They are not masculine at all. It's funny you mentioned Bernard of Clerval because I got excited the first time you mentioned him. He was involved in uh, setting up the Knights Templar, wasn't he? He was indeed. He wrote there the, 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 the code of the order, um, and he was very intimate with them. So um, definitely something going on there. Um, but, of course, the Templars have been massively done and overdone in the past 20 years through various theories and things. And, of course, academic historians don't like even the, the mention of the word Templar these days. But I'm afraid to say that there's an awful lot more yet to come out. Um, and I think that they were very remarkable. Um, mm. And I do think that those at the top of the order, those who were educated, who could read and write, and who had been to the Middle East, had seen that world, they must have emerged from within it. Um, you know, they must have returned to this, to this country, to Western Europe, and thought, this is not what we were expecting because their idea of being taught about, you know, Jesus and the Christians, etc., by the church, it must have been a real shock to them to go to the actual place where it all happened and realize that, you know, the their 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 the environment within which they 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 learnt this this uh, faith was completely different from 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 what they were taught. It must have been a huge shock. So to go back to the Middle East and then to come across other forms of Christianity must have really hit them hard. And, of course, in returning to, to the West, um, such an awful lot changed. Um, it's quite interesting that within two or three hundred years you have the rise of the Protestant church and, and so on and so forth. So, um, yes, very interesting indeed. Fascinating, fascinating people. Yeah, it's a, a wormhole and a half, the Knights Templar. Um, Dan Jones did um, a book fairly recently, two or three years ago, I think, but it was quite mainstream, quite um, dry history of the Templars book. 
for someone who just wants to dip the feet. But like you said, there are so many books on the sort of more esoteric angles of the Templars and their origins and whatnot. And uh, I, th- I feel like um, we're, we're sort of speculating far more than I'm sort of comfortable with. Although it is fascinating. Well, yeah, there's a lot of speculation to be made about them, but I'm I'm speaking from the viewpoint of having done an awful lot of research on them recently, because they're actually, to a certain extent, they're involved in the, the discovery that I've I've made recently, um, and I'll be announcing those findings um, in time to come. But but you know, they are they're they're fascinating in in many many ways because they preserved an awful lot that in the West was dismissed later on as heretical. And yet, without that heresy, we would never have had the rise of science, for instance, in the West, because these people contributed so much that was different. And it helped, really, to lever us away from the hegemony of the church at the time. So we have an awful lot to be grateful for to them and to others, too. Um, You know, Later on, when we have the uh, example of Galileo and, and others who were punished for basically discovering and finding the truth, um, again, it's just it's human history. We, we kind of take two steps forward. We, we make one juddering step back because we're, we're forced to adhere to the, the current orthodoxies that, 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 that keep us nailed to the spot, you know. Um, and it, it's, it's sad because, you know, as I said earlier on, there's so much out there um, that, that, that we need to investigate. And yet we are kind of hemmed in by the modern scientific idea of logic. Yet, you know, uh, in, the late, in the words of the late Spike Milligan, um, his great uh, ambition was to rise beyond logic. And I love that because, in a sense... We're using logic in modern society to limit our experience of the world, not to expand it. And I think that's terribly sad. And the word experience in its original Latin is expirare, which basically means from out of the spirit. You see? So it's all to do with consciousness. The very words we use are an archaeology of the past and what these people meant when they when they invented these these wonderful places and the sense that they they perceived within them so um that's why i say in my book always have a dictionary with you always read the full entry of the word concerned and look at its origin because you'll find it all goes back to the idea of the spirit of consciousness itself and that's very very important because these places were places that it helped to expand your consciousness and, in fact, brought out within the brain the extraordinary gift of script with which we are able to write down what we think. Because, as I state in the book, the, 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 the overall um, aim of building these places was to provoke consciousness into actually expanding to such a degree that we would find out more and become more knowledgeable. And of course, in the myth of the hero, we've got this extraordinary character whose myth is very similar worldwide, who is the arbiter between us and between heaven. And he draws down the secrets, the sacred secrets, which of course allow us to build these extraordinary places. 
Yeah, um, I was going to say one of the things I found really interesting in your book was these labyrinths in the cathedrals. I was completely unaware of these, and I threw up a picture just in the intro video of the labyrinth at Shark Cathedral. So what do you think was going on? How do you think they were used? Again, um, it's a part of procession. Um, the cathedrals are not unique in that. You only have to look at um, the, the um, Hedaira in Islam. Every year, everybody who is uh, Islamic in faith has to go to um, Mecca if they can, and they have to walk the spiral, um, the, the ever-decreasing circle around the Kaaba before reaching that point. Um, now, you do the same with the labyrinth at Chart. You do the same at Kirkpatrick in, in, in Western Ireland, the, 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 the great hill of St. Patrick. To go directly to these places is to get there. But by getting there, you're not getting there. You're not <laughs> getting there in the right state. You're not getting there in the right sense of emotions. And therefore, you're not setting yourself up for a meeting with the divine. By walking the spiral, you are inducing within the brain a change of consciousness. By doing it slowly, by doing it rhythmically, you are more or less putting yourself into a trance-like state in which you become receptive. And there would, have been, there would have been singing going on, I presume. It's some sort Absolutely. of sacred Absolutely. They have been frequency. singing and chanting, again, because, again, that induces proper brainwave uh, right. rhythms to, to, to be inculcated within the human body. But, again, you know, uh, an interesting connection here is that the, 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 the Jews have a, a mystical Judaism called Kabbalah. Mm. Kabbalah means to receive. So, in other words by getting themselves into a mystical state of mind, you are ready to receive, to, to receive what? To receive knowledge, to receive enlightenment. And that's what the whole idea of walking the labyrinth was, was about. Um, I recommend to anybody listening to this show to get the chance, walk it, do it. See what, see, see what you, you think, see what comes up, see, see how you feel. It's actually a very, very good thing to do, and it's profoundly good both for your mentality, your emotionality, as well as for your physicality. Yeah, Absolutely. I suppose, um, you know, in recent times, we've some sectors have, have started to explore ways of sort of centering ourselves in this way. You know, meditation has become very fashionable over the last couple of decades, for example. We're getting more um, sort of influence from the East, Eastern mysticism, if you like. I don't know. The, th the thing I was thinking of is uh, sort of uh, neurofeedback. I don't know if you've heard of that. Where, yeah. Yeah, you kind of, you know, you put the electrodes on your head and you, you kind of train yourself to get into a certain uh, wavelength, essentially. Um, and that was that was in a book I was reading about uh, complex trauma, uh, believe it or not, you know, and being able to treat people so they could get into that relaxed state instead of being in a constant state of is anxiety. The, is that the alpha state? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think you could do it so you could uh, train yourself to go into different kinds of states um, with your weight. I'm not an expert on it at all. Um, it's, um, it's, it, it, it's profoundly interesting stuff, and it, it's very necessary for us to be at one at least once or twice a day if possible um, as I said, going into and coming out of proper sleep induces an alpha pattern. You have to go through that pattern. So, as, your, as your brain wakes up or as it shuts down, 
um, to go into sleep, you have to go through that, that passage called the alpha wave frequency. Um, and you can, you can do that. Um, I do it regularly when I'm out in the country. Um, there are places where you can feel the power of place. You can, you can feel it rising up through the spine. You just have to be open to it. And opening yourself to it is just very easy. You just stand and just, just let go. Um, I understand how difficult it can be for people because I've been living in London now for a while, um, waiting for my current project to, to, um, to be finalized. And I found that living in London is genuinely stressful. Everybody's in a rush to go somewhere and you get sucked into it very, very quickly and easily. Um, and I have to therefore occasionally run screaming to the countryside just to kind of <laughs> get a breath of air and to see and witness and feel the power of place, um, which is why I'm deeply envious of you chaps having been down at, um, at Glastonbury uh, recently, um, because, you know, there's, I mean, disregarding all of the different theories and the, the, the people down there and with their different ideas and beliefs, there's definitely something we're all united on, and that is that it's a very, very powerful place. Mm. Being there is a very pleasant experience, particularly this time of year with all the blossom out and the trees suddenly going green. It's it's remarkably beautiful, and that aids the countryside. It aids your, your sense of the power of place because the blossom, the trees opening up, is a sign of that power because they have themselves imbibed it. And, you know, it's... It's terribly important because it shows us that we are a part of the earth. From the earth we come, back to the earth we go. And I think that's a terribly important thing for us to bear in mind. Just got to let go. Do you think um, we're hampered in, in the modern era by all the sort of electronic stuff going around in our lives, whether it's mobile phones or Wi-Fi or different frequencies? Do you think these interact in any way with what's going on with us in our brain or the human frequency or whatever? Definitely, yeah. There's no two ways about it. Um, apparently, according to... Now, I can't think offhand who it was, but it's in the book again. Um, one of the great institutions in the, in the West stated that all of the frequencies that we've got... Um, now, of course, we have 5G on top of 4G and you've got satellite technology, we've got electricity pylons and this, that, and everything else. Apparently, if you looked at the internal workings of a golf ball, which is just elastic bands wound around each other, that more or less is the Earth surrounded by frequencies of electromagnetic radiation, um, profoundly unhealthy stuff. It's less the case in country rural areas, but the more you go nearer city centres, the more intense it becomes. So, I again, I feel very much uh, different staying in London. I feel very much awake all the time. And I find that when I do sleep properly, I sleep the, the sleep of exhaustion rather than the sleep that kind of restores you, in a sense. Um, and I have to say, I, I can't wait to get, to get out of here um, because I think that, you know, I use the tube every day, so that's another piece of electricity. I take a telephone with me because I have to be on call for the job. That's more electricity, and so on and so forth. Um, I can't wait to to get back to rurality, 
and to actually throw my telephone out of the train window and say, thank God for that. You talk quite a lot about the crystalline nature of planet Earth and us and everything around us in the book. Mm. I was wondering if um, there is any way of uh, enhancing crystal technology to uh, insulate us from all the RFs that are flying around our brains. Well, you know, I think that's another thing that needs to be taken seriously too. Um, I, I mean, you could do a simple experiment actually in uh, late winter coming on to early spring, just um, plant a daffodil bulb in a pot. And then if you then place it below, but between a window and on one side and on the other side, a, a large quartz crystal, you will find that when eventually the daffodil bulb emerges, it will grow towards the quartz crystal and not towards the light of the window. Wow. So that tells you an awful lot about the power of crystals and, and what they can do to alleviate certain electromagnetic stresses. Cool. Might try that. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely trying that next year. Where are we getting our quartz from? Don't forget, you, you yourselves are, you know, you have liquid crystal running through your veins. Oh, blood. tell us. Tell us about that. Yeah, blood crystallizes when you cut yourself. So it's liquid crystal, literally. Um, you know, and blood contains other crystalline forms like salt and, and magnesium and things like that, and iron. The, all of these things uh, crystallize upon emergence into the, uh, shall I say, the real world um, <laughs> when, 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 when they're oxidated, you know. Um, so we, we have a tendency to think of water as being non-crystalline, but again, freeze it, and what happens? It turns into a crystal. Um, Interestingly enough, glass, too, is a liquid crystal. That is its classification. So if you go to an old cathedral like Chartres, and if you take a, a section of window from one of the stained glass windows, uh, during the Restoration, um, somebody was, was taking out the parts of the, the stained glass window, and they took a side-on photograph of it and found that it had actually begun to sunk, sink towards yeah. the earth. So it was more bulbous at the bottom than it was at the top. So in another, you know, six, 7,000 years, if Chartres still standing, the windows would have kind of like almost melted like, 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 uh, like ice in the sunshine because they'll be, they'll be sagging from the windows. It's very funny. But there we go. <laughs> That's mad. Yeah, I've got one crystal here that I got from Avebury. Mm. I can't remember what kind it is. Um, another thing that he brought up in a similar vein in the book, which I'd never heard of, was magnetite and the role that that plays. Yeah, I love... I, did you understand the pun you just made there? You said in a similar vein. <laughs> <laughs> good catch. See, it's, it's in our language, isn't it? So, so just a, a, a good example there. Mm. But yeah, I mean that's that's another thing. I mean, I have this um, theory, which I'm, I, I, I think I put it in, in the appendix at the back of the book. I'm going to write an academic paper on it at some stage or other when I've got the time. Um, it's to do with mummification, because um, we get our sense of direction um, through a piece of magnetite that is basically located near the pineal gland, at the top of the nose, about sort of half an inch, inch inwards. Um, and that kind of gives you a sense of, 
of where you're at and what direction you're going in, et cetera, et cetera. That's what, you know, other animals have as well. But um, as we get older, it crystallizes, it hardens, it becomes much more um, solid, as it were. Now, my idea is this, that uh, working as a, an Egyptologist uh, many years ago, um, it was noticeable that if you look at mummies, they are obviously very wrapped and they're very embalmed, but they're laid down horizontally in their coffins because that was part of the, the ritual of the dead. So therefore, it made no sense to me that the, the um, nasal passage was pierced so that they could pull out the brain during the embalming. Because if you go to um, 18th century, 17th century churches in London, where people um, during the, the plague were entombed in lead coffins, you'll find that the, the body itself being horizontal when found was not actually uh, penetrated by the, 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 the brain as it had rotted down. Because what had happened is as it had degraded, it's just become like a, a, a syrupy liquor that sort of hangs at the base of the, of the cranium. Okay. Now, um, I, I know this because I've seen a spoonful of brains, you know, um, at one of these things many years ago, um, because they were clearing out the, the crypts of these places for, for, for the building of coffee shops and things like that. Um, so when next time you have a cup of coffee, by the way, do think of decomposed brains. I'll ask for um, a teaspoon of brain in my, uh, <laughs> my latte. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why too. not? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that actually... The brain removal in ancient Egyptian um, ritual became necessary because they actually took a spike and pierced the, the upper cavity of the nose to actually remove the magnetite. I think the Egyptians knew it was there. I, I, I can't tell you how or why we've no references to that, but it's fairly obvious that they did because that would have been shifted. And in the shifting, that would have according to their, their rituals, have actually released the spirit from its earthbound state. And if you look at the um, false doors in Egyptian tombs and things like that, the spirit has to move through them in order to ascend to, to the heavens. Um, and I think that that was an essential part of Egyptian ritual. And if you go to the, um, the, the, the Cairo Museum and you, you can see all of the the various ritual knives and and things used during the process of mummification, and one of them is the spike that pierces the brain. So um, fascinating stuff. May even have it done myself when the day comes. <laughs> we've uh, we've hardly talked about Egypt, and you can uh, call me Spike from now on. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that um, interests me in the book is you mentioned that. Um, it's a bit of a misconception that we think of Egypt as being polytheistic. Yeah, no, it never, it, it never was. Um, this is this is something else that I find annoying. Um, the Egyptians themselves make it very clear throughout their documentation that they believed in the one. That um, sensibly and logically, they saw the one as being such a vast concept that to encapsulate it in a in a three letter word, i.e., God, was absurd. Um, so therefore, they they presented the one uh, or or God as we now call it 
um, in, in the forms of the gods, which were not really gods as such. If you look at the Egyptian word, it's natura. And natura more or less translates as accurately as we can in modern terms as principle, a principle of nature. And the word nature comes directly from the Egyptian natura, by the way. So in a sense, the gods were like the eyes on a peacock's tail. You know, we all think the eyes are wonderful, but it's only when you sort of take a step back that you see the overall peacock. Um, and that was the same, the same principle with the Egyptians. Um, it's a part of the, I dare I say, the appalling progressive nature and actually xenophobic racism of historical studies that we must see the ancient peoples as being simplistic, ill-educated, ill-informed, because it makes us look better. But really, when you stand back and you look at their achievements, for all of our technology, for all of our computer, you know, this and computer that, we still don't know how the pyramids were built. <laughs> um, you know, this is extraordinary. We've got to start giving these people the credit that they were due. Egyptian civilization lasted longer by a long shot by, than, than any other civilization. I mean, 5,000 years? That's astonishing. Um, how long did the Roman Empire last? It barely made it to 800 years. Um, British Empire, two or 300 years. Um, but, you know, an empire that goes over, well, I say an empire, but a system, a civilization that goes through over, you know, a, a thousand years or so, that's quite remarkable. Um, and and I, I just think hats off to the Egyptians. I I, I find them profound. Um, you know, we, we if you go back to uh, Tudor or even Stuart in England, you know, under the under James and Charles, etc., people thought that having baths was a bad thing. Um, so of course, if you if you took a time machine back to the sixteen hundreds um, London, you'd have to have carried nose pegs with you because <laughs> people stunk to high heaven. Um, the streets were open sewers. Uh, with the result that come 1858, you ended up with what was called the Great Stink, because the, the Thames was nothing more than one vast open sewer to the biggest city then on the planet. And, of course, that then led to a massive cholera outbreak. And then, finally, having reached crisis yet again, we had to do something about it. And, of course, Joseph Bazalgette came along and invented the sewer system. Now, go back two, three, four, five thousand years, the Egyptians had all of that. They knew about personal cleanliness. They bathed regularly. Um, when they were at supper, they generally, the higher classes in Egypt, they wore wigs. They shaved their heads, but wore wigs for special occasions. When at supper, they had great cones of incense that would melt over them. The incense contained natural disinfectants that would help to feed the skin, but also to cleanse it. They knew about personal cleanliness. They knew about proper sewerage systems and all of that. And this was a hell of a long time ago. So if you look at the cathedrals and compare them to today's architecture, um, and then you, you go back to the pyramids, you know, it, we're like a graph. The, the line goes up and it goes down and it goes up. And unfortunately, chaps, I've got bad news for you. I think we're in a trough at the moment. Yeah, yeah I'd agree, yeah. <laughs> It's one of the things that annoys me about the whole ancient aliens thing. 
it kind of, I feel like it robs our ancestors of the respect and the reverence they deserve and the, you know, the obvious ingenuity that they had. Totally agree with you. Um, it's what I call the American comic strip theory. Um, Earth's in a real state. It's in a bloody mess. Somebody from outside is going to come and help us. Mm. Well, if I was an alien in a passing spaceship, I think, oh, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, I, I mean, it, it comes from within us. And I suspect that, actually, uh, on a more esoteric level, I suspect that UFOs are actually not unidentified flying objects, but rather unidentified flying subjects. I think they come from within. And I personally believe that when we look up into the cosmos at night, I think that what we're seeing is a perfect reflection of our own deep unconscious. Because to my mind, our existence is marked by that um, level in a bottle where, imagine a bottle half full, okay? You've, the line of the water demarcates the empty space above it, but the full space below. I think we're the line on the bottle. I think that the full space below is the conscious and the, the empty space above is the unconscious. And I, I say this because, um, again, I put it in the book, um, I'm dyslexic. Um, I come from an Irish background, so I've been born with a, a Celtic state of mind. So I can see things differently, um, which leads to a big sense of humour, by the way. Um, and um, I bless the Irish for that. But if you look at the, the word alien, it's actually been misspelt. It's actually L-I-N. Now, L-I-N is the 16th letter of the Hebrew, Egyptian, and Greek alphabets. And it is actually symbolized by the pineal gland. <laughs> yep. That's, that's two. It's E-L-A-Y-I-N. Is that right? That's it. Exactly. And if you if you rub the pineal gland, if you can if you can actually <laughs> stimulate it, you will end up with um, what I call DMT visions, um, where you know these beings will come to you, and then you will see that we are not alone. Uh, we like to think that we are, um, but again, the, the the real rescue of the world will come through inspiration by by speaking to these beings that are deep inside us. I'm convinced of that. And I think that that basically is what genuine spirituality really is. Wow, that's cool. That is cool. What about um, cr sort of crowd? Because you, you mentioned uh, the Zaitun. Is it Zaitun sightings yes, in Egypt? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the mass consciousness um, idea when, when visions come along. Again, I think it's like a collective thing that drives frequency down. Again, it's not been looked at because, to be fair to scientists, these things happen so rarely, it's difficult to actually get any empirical data from them. But yeah. again, you know, we've got photographs of this vision of Mary appearing above the Coptic church at Zaitun. And again, I suspect that that's um, a part of the subjective alien thing or L-I-N thing, if we're to be more specific wherein Mother Earth is trying actually to speak to us, but this time in very literal terms, because Mary, of course, is associated with Mother Earth in, um, the, in, in, the, in the Christian legends. And that's what's so, 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 so fascinating, where we're seeing Christianity as being genuine, uh, and to a degree it is, but 
um, there's aspects of it that it, it shares with many other religions, but I won't go too heavily into that because that's going to be my next book, and I've got cool. some real corkers to to reveal about within that. Yeah, those uh, those Zaytun phenomena are interesting. It was like uh, it went on for years in the late sixties. I think it was over yeah. about three year period, and tens that's of thousands, right. hundreds of thousands of people are looking at this vision of the Virgin Mary above this church. It's wild, and you can see the photographs. It's, um, well, again, you know, it's interesting. We we say it's the Virgin Mary, but well, in other faiths, of course, it would be, you know, in Islam, it would be Fatima and so on and so forth. Yeah. But if you if you look at the idea of angels, um, in the medieval period and backwards, people saw angels because, of course, they associated with the divine presence and Christianity and so on and so forth. Today, in a much more technological world, we see aliens. But yes. is there a difference between the two? Yeah, it's all about cultural context at the end of the day, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. you know, and, and that's what I find so interesting. Um, I, I love Spielberg's film, Close Encounters of the, the Third Kind. I love the journey that, that, that uh, Roy Neary, played by, by Richard Dreyfus, is on. And, of course, finally he gets to enter the, the alien craft and off he goes. You've got that wonderful music by, by John Williams. But I was to myself... You know, you could do a comedy about this, couldn't you? You know, he could be a Christian who sees it, you know, the UFO in Christian terms, and then suddenly, halfway through the journey, he decides to become a Muslim, and suddenly the whole thing changes, you know? Um, or he becomes a pagan, and somehow, you know, the, the, the background scenery changes. And it all keeps changing because he keeps changing his mind. Um, because that essentially is who we are. We're in a world of experience, we're trying to find out who we are, where we're at, why we're here, and yet it's also terribly subjective. David, do you think that God is created in man's own image then to flip the, the vernacular? Why don't we change the vocabulary and say that God is downloaded in man's own image? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect that's probably very much the case, you know? Um, because, again... Um, you only have to go online and look at go go to um, uh, YouTube and look at the size of the universe. You'll you'll see some of these oh, animations, yes. yeah. and they go from the very smallest particle to the the very size of the universe, and it's just it's just staggering. And yet we encapsulate the whole thing in a word called God. Yeah, it, it seems bizarre to me that you know. Um, the, the, the name of God is so short, it, it should actually be the size of one of those Welsh railway stations, you know? <laughs> I think it might be a coping mechanism because it's difficult to comprehend, isn't it? Similarly, on, on the internet, there's that um, timeline of the far future that's similar to the small to big thing, and it just goes through what we expect to happen through all the heat death of the universe in many, many millions and trillions of years in the future and it's it's just absolutely mind-boggling i, I love it but I, I can't, yeah can't yeah <laughs> the, the, the the problem is as we all know now because of our history is that by encapsulating god in such a short word it's led to so much um wickedness so much mm. misinterpretation so much bloodshed you know um and we should be a bit more honest i think we should actually start to look at the idea of god as consciousness and and that you know we 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 ascend through stages to a higher consciousness ourselves, wherein perhaps we get a glimpse of the divine. But the whole idea of carrying around this 
this noxious thing called God in our pockets because you can turn and say, well, my God's better than your God. Well, <laughs> why bother fighting when it's supposed to be the same thing? It removes responsibility as well. I mean, you could say, totally. well, God made me do it or I've done it in God's name. And that's, you know, that's we know wars are fought and lost and all kinds of yeah. bad decisions are made in the name of God. I got beaten as a child at school uh, in Australia. I was only about seven years of age because I blasphemed uh, unwittingly and I got hauled before the class when I was daydreaming. I was caught daydreaming out, looking out of the window because those were the days when, you know, youngsters when we were at school, the days were so long. <laughs> um, and now I'm a hell of a lot older. The days are going so quickly. Um, but I got dragged up in front of the class by this um, this teacher who was a very deeply religious man. And he said, you will now tell the class what you are daydreaming about. And I said, well, sir, I think I've discovered the identity of God. And he was most impressed. He kind of let go of the back of my, the hairs on the back of my neck and said, well, you know, please tell me. And I said, God, sir, is a dachshund. <laughs> and he gave me the most astonishingly awful look. And he said, how the hell did you come to that conclusion? I said, it was terribly simple, sir. If you put um, God and Jesus together and spell them backwards, you end up with sausage dog. <laughs> uh, I, I can't fault that logic. <laughs> I got severely beaten for that. But um, <laughs> I have to say, that's where my, my idea of playing with words comes. Because, I mean, being dyslexic, you see things the other way around. Mm. Um, I'm able to read... Um, you know, Hebrew and other languages um, with a certain amount of ease. I'm not an expert at Hebrew, I have to say, but I do find it easier to read than I do English because it's right to left rather than left to right. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, a, that's an interesting aspect, that there is no dyslexia in those languages. That's something course, I particularly enjoyed was the etymology and the wordplay in the book. That was um, very different for me. Yeah, it. yeah. Well, again, it's the archaeology of words and their meaning. Yeah. We, we we take words so much for granted. We don't actually, um, a lot of us, look at them and, and see what they really mean. Um, I once met a, an atheist at a, at a debate, and he, he described his atheism as enthusiastic. And that's where I got him, because, of course, enthusiastic in Latin is entheos, which means in God. <laughs> um <laughs> So um, yes, you can catch people up with words, and of course, if you can if you can understand words, then you can use them properly. But as Confucius says, when words lose their meaning, people lose their freedom, and never was that more true than today. Absolutely, well said. Well, David, on that note, I think we've gone over an hour, and you look as though you're about to disappear into the ether. Oh God, the light! Sorry, I forgot to put the ruddy light on. Yes, I do apologise. Do I look sort of sinister enough? Absolutely, certainly. Yeah, it's good. It's a good ambiance. It's definitely. Yeah, you could just do a torch under your jaw. You know, just. I'm just thinking of that. Actually, let's let's just give it a go. Um, I've got one here on my phone. Oh wow! That's amazing. Yes, <laughs> I like it. That's great. Yeah. Well, so, this has been fabulous, David. I had uh, a page full of notes of things to ask you, and I haven't looked at it yet. No, you but can't. we've gone over an hour already, so we're going to have to do this again sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I mean, just um, you know, let's do something. Just let me know when, and uh, be happy to oh, to ramble great. on. I, I always call it a history of Babylon because you get to sit <laughs> there and listen, and I get to babble on and on and on. <laughs> 
That was great. (laughs) That was fantastic. Um, Right, we'll sign off. Unless there's anything, any final uh, message you need to tell people. I mean, the link will be in the show notes if people want to buy the book. But uh, is there anything else you need to tell us about? Or a website? I couldn't find a website or anything for you. No, I'm, I'm, I, I will be sorting that out in the months to come. Um, but um, as I said, you know, I, I'm keeping a low profile on that at the moment because of various things that have been happening with the, the, the current project, uh, which you'll get to hear about. But um, yeah, I mean, I just hope that everybody does enjoy the book. Uh, I hope it gives you all a, a sense of the profound meaning of not just the power of place, but the... The, the power of language itself. And the reason I say that is we're living in a world now where freedom of speech is under pressure as never before. And if we allow uh, certain fundamentalists to, to break down freedom of speech and to take it away from us, like the censoring of books and all of that, and I think that the more people know about these things, the more that we can read, the more that we've got the art of protesting about it. Yeah, yeah. well said. Right, stay on the line, David, for us for one minute while we play ourselves out. And uh, for those of you in podcast land, we'll be back in five or ten minutes for uh, for part two to do some news, some fun stuff. Got a yeah. packed, a packed part two. Woo. Right, okay, sayonara. Take care. Bye. Well, right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the giant fucking lenses. <laughs> what did he? Giant fucking lenses. The dwarf, the cripple, and the giant fucking lenses. <laughs> Is that my voice? It's me. Is it you? Now? <laughs> I was. Uh, I was just in hysterics. <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> that was a clip from uh, the last podcast we did. Uh, the barn raising. The barn raising, yeah. Barn, if uh, barn, barn. you're a lot on YouTube who only watch this shit on YouTube, yeah, right? you're missing out. Yeah, uh, if you're wondering why there's like an episode number missing every month, it's because it's mm. an audio only that goes out on the on the old Spotify's and the mm. iTunes and all that shit. So get it coming in your ears, man. Yeah. Did you uh, you posted the three hour documentary YouTube documentary about the giant fucking lenses? Did you? I posted it in the Element server. Yeah. Oh, is that what was three hours? Another reason to join the element server, isn't it, really? True. Giant lenses. Right then, that was our chat with David Alkinson. That was great. I could yeah. have listened to David for hours. We just ran out of time, didn't we? Yeah, and we will take him up on that offer of a pint. Yeah, we're going for a pint next time we go. Yeah, Dance yeah. Going to whatever it is, a tour or something in Glastonbury. Save up now if we're going to London for a pint. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. Yeah, so uh, links in the show notes if you want to check out David's book. Highly recommended from yours truly. <laughs> I've finished it today and uh, show it. Here it is. I was saying earlier, it's like um, sort of similar in style to Graham Hancock, but with more of um, a leaning towards theology and uh, esoterica and wordplay and that sort of stuff. So More better. And ancient history. Oh, Hancock does that as well. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's similar but different. And uh, I thought it was fought, fought fresh. But it was particularly <laughs> fresh, and uh, I'm going to get his other books. His other books now. His, uh, yeah, support people who shit you all you like, man. Mm. Otherwise, they stop doing it. That's all I'll say. That's how it yeah. works. Yeah. 
Right, let's crack on with this popsicle stand. Do some headlines, eh? Yeah. I don't know about headline of the week. Uh, this might be headline of the decade. Ooh. Headlines of the week. Oh no! Whoa, what? <laughs> What's going on here? That's weird. Uh, oh, do you know what? I'm still on studio cam, man. Yeah, you need it on the. Why have I not? <laughs> you know, this is what happens when we don't stream for three weeks. I just <laughs> get out of Nick. Totally out of Nick. I should be on uh, scene part two, shouldn't I? That's all it takes. Part two oh, cam. Gosh, there what a go. slick uh, segue that was. Never Ooh. mind. Noisy cock who lives near Ed Sheeran is given an asbo. <laughs> oh. oh dear. Is this Elton John? <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is, he, is he notorious for being a noisy cock? Well, yes. Strutting. <laughs> Flaming cock. Mm. Lots of people have experienced noisy neighbours in their lifetime, but this one is a complete cock. <laughs> a cockerel in pop star Ed Sheeran's hometown named Rory has received complaints... Whoa, whoa, whoa. His hometown named Rory? Ed Sheeran's hometown. Named Rory? <laughs> the cockerel, I believe. Ah. I think the, it's a, a cock called Rory. A cock called Rory. Yeah, the name of... I'm sure the, the hometown is Framlington. Oh, is it? Yes. A cockerel in pop star Ed Sheeran's hometown named Rory has received complaints from neighbours who aren't keen on his daily dawn chorus... His owner, Julie Smith, has been handed a notice ordering her to keep the noise down. And her feathered friend has been handed an asbo. God. Antisocial behavioural order. What a cock. What a cock. What a twat. Mm. Julie, 56, lives 10 minutes from Ed Sheeran's family home in Frangham, Suffolk. She originally received a noise nuisance letter from the council on April the 6th. Eight days later, she was visited unannounced by its environmental protection team. Fucking jobs worth while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mum of three, Julie, says 126 fellow village, villagers have voiced their support for Rory. She said, The roads and cars in our street are noisier than Rory. I've spoken to my neighbours and all of them say once they shut the window, they can't hear a thing. But someone obviously has a problem with him. I don't know why I'm doing Hagrid. <laughs> I don't know where Framlington is. <laughs> Framlingham is an old market town. <laughs> And it's perfect. Frang, Franglingham. <laughs> Fra, Framlingham, like Lingham Massage. No. Isn't that where from... they, they tickle your... Uh... Your dingleberries. <laughs> your, your dingleberries. <laughs> I think you're supposed to wash the dingleberries off before you go. Right, okay. Before you go off the old Lingham. Mm. Is that the big oily one? Lingham Massage. I have no idea. I don't know. Something in the back of my mind palace is saying Lingham <laughs> Massage is a thing. Mm. That sounds like something from Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> Fremlingham is an own market town and it's perfectly natural for residents to own poultry and grow their own vegetables. I've owned cocks and hens for 15 years and it's since they've developed new houses surrounding my property that I've received complaints. Oh, right. this is this city slickers, isn't it? Right, city slickers come into our place. Fortunately, we had bird an... law does not recognise, I suppose. As we, we know. We had an incident with a cock near living near us, yeah. He started cocking in in the morning in in the summer. Um and it was next door but one rescued chickens. I don't know if they've still got them actually. And they got them as chicks or whatever. Um and they and they they're supposed to be all female. 
And one of them started cocking in the uh, morning. How do they know they're on female? Does someone go around lifting up all the dinosaur skirts? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Um, and then, so it had to be dealt with. Air rifle. Yeah. That's... So <laughs> me and my wife were in the back garden. Whilst it happened to be in the back garden, we weren't supervising. We didn't get SS on it. Um, <laughs> the SS? <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> But it, it took it took uh, far too many shots to finish uh, it off. Uh, <laughs> it was like, and then just heard uh, his feathers uh, flattering. And then, oh, God, you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. Headshot, headshot. <laughs> Surely the humane thing to do is to choke the chicken. Choke the chicken, yeah. <laughs> Always. Or, you know, I, I was like, I was this close to sh- shouting over the fence. I've got a hatchet, you know. Gone upside down traffic cone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Well, that's cruel. Right, good, good cock. Good cock story. Thank you. It was a good cock Jolly story. good cock. Right. Hotel guest wakes up to manager <laughs> sucking on his toes in bed. Wow. A hotel guest is planning to sue a hotel chain after he says he woke up in the night to find a member of staff sucking his toes. Would you like to see a picture of the assailant? Oh, I mean, I mean, if you're ever going to, you know, imagine a toe sucker, an unsolicited toe sucker. Yeah. There he is. Yeah, no chin. <laughs> I think that's the giveaway, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that, that's probably what allows the sucking of the toes, isn't it? Mm, it's like a, a bit of a Keith Laird. Mm. Oh, God. Minus the tash. Mm. Did he have to pay extra? The, the guest, time. Peter Brennan. From Texas. Oh, yeah. No, oh. it was a surprise toe-sucking. That's why he's inf- infuriated. A complimentary toe-sucking. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call it? Turn down. A turn down. <laughs> a turn over. A turn up for the books. Do you want to turn down this evening? <laughs> I'd turn it down, yeah. Yeah. Fuck, especially that. Fucking stay with him. <laughs> I mean, you'd be, be horrified if you woke up... Uh, and he had his. <laughs> I mean, his you mouth. know that that freaks Helen out. That we are, <laughs> sorry, we're not supposed Helen. to do mouth sorry. noises like that. <laughs> if you was it dysphonia? Is it misophonia? Misophonia. Mm. Um, the thing is, is you know, if you like getting your toes sucked, then does it really matter the face that the mouth is on? Oh, uh, if you close no, your probably eyes, not probably. Yeah, close your eyes. Think of England. Maybe call. Th- can you go and like move three foot up, mate? Oh God, <laughs> three foot. What? <coughs> yeah, meter. About two meters tall. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was only estimated. What? Oh, eight hundred and sixty-five mil up, please. Exactly. Jesus yeah. Christ. On a bike. Uh, where was I? Peter Brennan. This is the uh, the victim. Peter Brennan from Texas was staying overnight at the Hilton downtown Nashville Hotel on March 30th <coughs> Excuse me, for a work conference. However, his night's sleep was allegedly interrupted at around 5am when hotel employee David Neal, <laughs> Neal before Zod, 52, let himself into Mr. Brennan's room. 52? What, do you not think he looks 52? I think he looks... No, he does look 52. <laughs> he looks yeah. exactly 52. He do, doesn't he? <laughs> he do. He do, though. According to Nashville Metropolitan <laughs> Police, he had cloned a key card to let himself in. 
Uh, and when Mr. Brennan woke, <laughs> he found his toes were in Neil's mouth. All Mr. of them. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I imagine he's got... He's got no chin, so he can probably stretch it out. Yeah. Like a Venus flytrap. Blade. Like a boggling. Yeah, a boggling. Someone posted a picture of a boggling in the element server. I had a boggling. It was Helen. I had a boggling, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Do you remember them? I do remember them. I remember wanting one. I can still remember the feel. Was it one of those things you weren't allowed to have as a child? It was one of the many toys. The many, many toys that was not bought for me. So I used to go around to somebody's house around the corner and play with their boggling's. Nice. It's all right. Play with the what? Their boggling's. (laughs) Okay. And get my toes sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Brennan said, "Um, fuck, what's a Texas guy sound like? Who's a Texas? Who's from Texas? John Wayne? (laughs) This shooty guy from The Simpsons. Is he from Texas? Yeehaw. <laughs> Yeehaw! I instantly jumped up and was screaming. No. That's Florida. That'll That's do. not Florida either. Went into a sort you've of... You've south? You've gone there. Yeah, I'm going southern. <laughs> I instantly jumped up and was screaming. <laughs> Went into a sort of a fact-finding mode. Who are you? Why are you in my room? What are you doing here? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I think I would have, rather than fact-finding mode, I would have gone into, like, flailing fists of havoc mode. Oh, my God. It's, it's a miracle this guy's alive. You'd mm. at least kick your toes out a bit, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, I've, I've got to hand it, hand it to this guy, Peter Brennan, for his self-control, because this cunt's lucky to be alive, I think. If you wake up and some, some random twice sucking on your toes, you're lucky you not got his head caved in, isn't he? Excuse me. Excuse me. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, went on to fact-finding mode. <laughs> fact-finding mode. What, can I ask you, what, what kind of fucking about? conference was this he was at? Holy shit. Toe-sucking conference. <laughs> <laughs> I could see he was wearing a uniform. He had his name tag on. He was talking to me, but not giving me any substantive answers. Take your foot out of his mouth, then ask him. <laughs> Neil reportedly the night manager of the hotel. Was there was a series about the night manager, wasn't there? Oh, there was. You yeah, should have met it on um, this twat. Loki was on it, wasn't it? Yeah. Hod- Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Tom Huddleston. It was quite good, though, if I remember yeah. rightly. Uh, Neil, reportedly the night manager of the hotel, claimed he entered the room because he could smell smoke. Uh, that old chestnut. Coming from his toes. <laughs> Let's put these yeah, out. I better put this out in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no other guests or staff had reported smelling smoke that night. What a shocker. He was arrested at his home in nearby Len- Lebanon, Tennessee and was charged with aggravated burglary and assault. I think the, the, that's a correct accent for Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, it's in the South, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you are. Uh-huh. I'm just a sophisticated southern gentleman. Well, Memphis, Tennessee, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Nashville. Uh, Nashville, yeah. Tennessee. You know, we have a, a guest who's from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, we do, don't we? Ottoman. Yeah. Knoxville. Yeah. Knoxville. Oh, Knoxville, yeah. Yeah, same state. Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> Mr. Brennan says he still doesn't really feel safe in my own home following the incident and is suing both Neil and Hilton Hotels. Hilton Sportsman said, 
Hilton Nashville downtown is independently owned and operated by a third party and no Hilton entity employs staff at this property. The safety and security of our guests is our top priority and Hilton takes matters such as these very seriously. I wonder if he sleeps with socks on now. Yes. Oh, God, just get wet. Oh, wet socks. Well, yeah, but he's, he's probably not, hopefully not going to get an unsolicited toe sucking. Sleeping his DMs. You'd hope not. Now that is a callback. Right. That's from like episode 54. Right. Slip into his Doc Martens. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep into my DMs. It's like I remember when I first had a, I was going to say I first had a girlfriend. When I first had a mobile phone and a girlfriend at the same time. And uh, she used to, I guess we were about, I don't know, 16, 17, something like that. And she used to end all her messages, her text messages with TB. And that means text back. I want you to text oh. back. And I thought it meant tatty bye. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I never replied to any. I must, she must have thought, wow, God, this guy's so, playing so hard to get. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, I just think he's saying tatty, tatty bye. bye. <laughs> I thought that's, that's what he was, like, lol. Brilliant. Laugh out loud, TB's tatty bye. <laughs> I'm a fucking retard. <laughs> Are you retarded? Probably. Right, let's move on. Next one. There's four this week. Four headlines. What's the next one? Oh, hundreds protest on beach against chemical dump in St. Ives Bay. Yeah, this story. No. This no. is mad. Um, Elias sent it us this morning. No, was it yesterday? I can't remember. But uh, she sent us, talk about a producer. She sent us a link to the news story and a video oh, <laughs> on the old uh, email. So here's the video clip <clears throat> of one of the protesters, an environmental campaigner who's done this video. It's quite long, but I think it's worth... Well, it's like three minutes, but I think it's probably worth playing it in its entirety. Evening, folks. Um, I don't know whether to say this in anger. I don't know why it's squished. I was going to say, he's a trying, big unit, isn't he? Just try and ignore that. It's some sort of formatting issue, maybe. But the message is what's maybe. important. Maybe. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> what are we dealing with here? <laughs> in a comedy fashion, or simply just bewilderment but I think I'm going to stick with complete and utter bewilderment because I can't believe this has even got this far. So apparently, and I've only just found out about this, so all those people who've been campaigning at St Ives Bay, you have my absolute full support on this one. I've been in environmental science pretty much for all of my working life. And I have never heard anything so stupid, so corrupt and so dangerous as what I've been hearing about today. So a Canadian company um, who, according to what I've read so far, have done one uh, test in a swimming pool um, with effectively antacid tablets, so Rene, um, and they believe they can solve the CO2 issue, which, by the way, is completely made up, um, by stopping the oceans emitting CO2, by basically making the oceans more alkaline. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to give the oceans antacid tablets. And guess what? They chose St Ives Bay as the perfect shallow bay to do this in. Of course, Canada's got no shoreline, has it? I forgot that. Oh, no, it has. It has two massive pieces of shoreline, doesn't it? And I'm pretty sure you've got the same depth shoreline as well. I forget what the chemical compound is, but it's commonly known as milk of magnesia. Calcium chloride. Calcium chloride. Uh, I think it's, is it 300 tonnes they're going to dump in St. Ives Bay? I don't know. Or 400 tonnes. I read the story. You'll be able to hear the burp from here. (laughs) 
So why the hell are you coming here? So there's more to this story. So we're going to dig deep into this company, which is called Planetary Technologies. Because from what I gather so far, you appeared from nowhere. You've won one award, which, mm, let's have a look at who sponsored the award. And now you, after doing one swimming pool test, within three months applied to the British government to be able to dump tonnes of antacid into the ocean off St Ives as a bit of a test to see if you can do this in the oceans, you absolute ignorant people. So we need to find out why this is even being allowed to be considered. But what we need to do and what I'm asking you to do is everybody on this planet, you need to get behind this and we need to stop this company in its tracks. And we need to find out from the British government and the local um, organisations in St Ives how the hell this even got this far. And let's find out, because it always points to the money. So let's have a look at the money trail here. They're not out to save St. Ives and they're not out to do an experiment. And if I, for one, can help stop this, I will, even if it's by bringing attention to this. So everybody, watch the film that I'm going to post, um, which has been made brilliantly by the campaigners down at St. Ives. And let's give them all of our support. The world needs to know about this. It is an absolute disgrace. Vibrations up. Live life. Love nature. I think it's calcium carbonate, actually. Did I say calcium chloride? Yeah. Hope I'm not poisoning anyone in the last day. Unbesmegging leaveable. <laughs> yeah, they're mad, aren't they? You can I mean, dump a load into the bay. How many tons would you have to dump into the, the all of the planetary ocean? To... How is this stuff made? Where is it extra- how is it extracted? What well, kind of energy is used in uh, <laughs> making this shit? Yeah. It's a fucking scam. It's like, you know, you've got Gates trying to block out the sun at one end. Well, I was just thinking about the, the part of the, the atmospheric particles. And these knobheads just dumping shit in the ocean to see what happens. It's like, over what? Over a trace gas. Kill that makes plants of, grow. Uh, aquatic wildlife. You would think, wouldn't you? Mm, but yeah, you don't get them. In, ecosystem. You don't get them in swimming pools, so it'll be right. <laughs> They've done a test in a swimming pool. So... Oh my God. Uh, we'll see. We'll uh, keep an eye on that story. You mentioned a video so uh, coming out. So I think that's you know, worth it. Maybe we'll keep an eye on that story. Thanks for sending that in. Last one. Woman bites into Kit Kat and finds there's no wafer. Just solid oh, chocolate. Yes. She's won the lottery there. It happens. There. It happens. Has it happened to you? Um, I think I've had one that's all wafer. Oh, <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> The well, thing is, what do you do? You call win. between the devil and a rock at a hard place. Spin it, just spin yeah, it. Yeah. If it's all wafer, I won't even eat That's it. Awful. It's only yeah. happened to me in like a like an Aldi version or an Asda version of oh, a Kit yeah. Kat. Sweepings, oh. the sweepings yeah, version. The sweepings, yeah. God, like a judgment day in a like a judgment day in terminating <laughs> mode. Like, don't eat that shit. Some classic clips, sound bites tonight. Oh uh, yeah. More to come. Kit Kat fan Keely McGrath, 25, treated herself to the chocolate bar only to discover that none of the fingers had any wafer inside. Instead, it was just solid chocolate all the way through. Keely, who's originally from Tipperary in Ireland, <laughs> but is working as a bartender in Darwin, Australia, said. Mm. She's a long way from Tipperary! <laughs> <laughs> Smegging leaveable based Sigma Chad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I good. love it. What the farage. Oh, good one. Winner. 
Uh, Keely, who's originally from Tipperary in Ireland, but is working as a bartender in Darwin, Australia, said, Thousands of people have seen a wonder food lottery, but in my eyes, if I wanted a Kit Kat with no wafer, I would have bought a Yorkie. <laughs> I would have bought a Geordie, so it sounds weird. <laughs> she went on. I was disappointed as Kit Kats are actually my favourite bar, which <laughs> might be an unpopular opinion. Hang on a minute. Are we are we watching a reenactment of Jean-Luc Picard? What? What are you talking about, about Jean-Luc Picard? He, he talked in a slow <laughs> monotone. He just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had a chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. <laughs> Hold up. Wait a minute. Something right. Saying something that's not right with my accent. <laughs> I'm trying to mash Tipperary and, and, and Aussie. She's picked up some lingo. I'm not much of a chocolate lover, and I like that there's not too much chocolate in a normal Kit Kat. <laughs> All was not last, lost, however, despite her annoyance. You see, I don't think this is like the best day of my life. Yeah, it's good. Mm. And it gets better for her. Despite her annoyance at having wasted $3 on the chocolate bar, it's not a waste, Keely was able to swap with her boyfriend whose purchase of the same item had been somewhat less ill-fated. Astonishingly, given how rare it is to find a completely solid Kit Kat, it's actually not the first time this has happened to Keely. She explained, A few years ago... <laughs> I got a fuck. Got a what? A fucking what? A few, <laughs> a few years ago, I got a four pack of the Kit Kat Chunkies and they were all no wafers. Nonsense. That's bullshit. It was in the news, it's true. <laughs> the same person. Uh, you say nonsense. Native ad. But smegging legal. Native ad. <laughs> 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 I don't know if Kit Kat. There was no hyperlink that I remember. Right. You might be right. Oh, God, you're so cynical. Uh, housekeeping. Housekeeping. <laughs> this is a Value for Value podcast. If you like this podcast, you find it valuable, please consider returning some value. And there's a myriad of ways of returning value to us. My favourite way, as ever, every week, is word of mouth. Sharing links in your uh, Facebook groups, your Discord servers, um, on Twitter, if you find this podcast valuable, spread the word, tell your friends, yep. throw a CD like a ninja star at people's heads, gouge the eyes with USB sticks. Okay. That was a Red Letter Media reference, and if anyone gets that joke, we're, we're, we're like Blood Brothers. Gouge the eyes. Okay. What's you your favourite way uh, of becoming a producer? <laughs> buy some merchandise from the Amish Loot chest. Oh, yeah, I've got some examples here. Yes. Somewhere. Like a bacon nuts is the, uh, is the coronation sale over? Well, it's still going on outside uh, Phil's house. <laughs> isn't it? That, yeah. Yeah, really there's garroted uh, on some patriotic bunting. <laughs> I know, yeah. I got a, a bacon nuts t shirt here. This is the Amish Loot Chest, the merch store. Link in the show notes. There and if you sup- uh, subscribe to the Rumspringer newsletter, which comes out at the beginning of every month, 
There is a discount code in the newsletter for 10% <laughs> off. Three weeks to flatten the earth mm. t-shirt. That is a genius design. It is. It is. It? We should be selling millions of them units. It and, comes in and all the sizes. Yeah. Look at that. 5XL. Literally a communist hoodie. Classic. Yeah. Merch store. Good one. That was, that was popular recently, that, uh, that design. Which one? <laughs> the communist one. Why's that? Well, I don't know. The war. Pretty sure they're not communists anymore. The uh, the Russian Civil War. <laughs> when was that? 17th century? The Tsars? I can't remember. Don't know anything about history. What's happening? Spills. Okay, <laughs> join the element server. Um, that's where I, you know, we like to interact. You could have joined in with the Eurovision chat last night. Yes, we uh, we were live reacting to Eurovision, weren't we? In our ele- element, it's like Discord. It's the community hub where you can interact with us more easily. We're all there, and there are different threads for uh, for stuff. And you know, I don't know whether I should like make an announcement or anything. We were talking about Eurovision, and I was thinking that maybe next year. I have two choices, really. I can either host a Eurovision party on the on the on Zoom or something, or I wouldn't. I would never do this because I think it would be illegal. But you know, um, YouTube is an official partner of Eurovision, and they live stream the event mm. sans national commentary without any commentary on it. So, I mean. You know, you wouldn't do this, but say if you had a streaming computer and something like a roadcaster and professional mics and stuff, you could <laughs> essentially like shadow stream Eurovision off YouTube and then do an alternative commentary mm. and uh, do all the research and find out who the acts are and uh, essentially play it being Graham Norton for the event. I think you would be well, good. Could, yeah, I mean, you'd have to have some. You'd have to have some sort of private server where you could host it. You know, Can like you just stream element and have people some... mute the telly and listen to... Could do. Timing. Time differences. We found out last night uh, that yeah, there are bit... time differences. So you mm-hmm. have to watch along to the stream live that I would right. broadcast somewhere. So I haven't thought about it. It would be a lot of work if uh, it was necessary. If there was a clamoring of public <laughs> delight at the idea, <laughs> I would consider... I mean, how many researchers, production assistants do you think the BBC use for Eurovision every year? Seven, about seven, yeah, yeah, for several months, three months in yeah. the run up. Mm. So, I would have to do this on my own in a week, easy, yeah. I could definitely do it. it would. Well, start thinking about it, uh, now. So, you've got a year to do it. I'd have to watch all the semi finals, yeah. have my notes. I wouldn't, the only thing is, I'm not privy to the dress rehearsal, no, so you so wouldn't I... know who's got nice tone. Uh, well, yeah, I would know which of the good songs and stuff and who are the good performance, but I wouldn't have a, uh, much idea about staging <laughs> of the event. No, just you make wouldn't. It up. I would just make it up, yeah. Um, how else? What else can you do on Element Server while we're talking about that? You can send news articles, video clips, um, Focus Chi requests, birthday we, requests. We didn't get any Focus Chi in the intervening weeks since we've been on YouTube, but this is a service we provide. Mm-hmm. If you have some sort of, maybe an ailment, maybe you're going through a flunk psychologically, maybe you're stressed, maybe you've got a big job interview coming up or a driving test, something like that. Maybe you ran over a squirrel. On your driving test. Yeah. That would be right, horrific. Yeah. 
We're fixing that. <laughs> no. You can uh, email us at thearmersinquisition at gmail.com or messages us on the other channels and we will focus our chi as a community in your direction for your given aim that you request. Mm-hmm. Um, you like to aim for the prostate, don't you, in the men? In the men. You're a shotgun approach, would you say, Ben? Just, yeah, like a blunderbuss of nonsense. Splatter. Yeah. Bukaki. Yeah. He bends the chi bukaki. Solo bukaki. <laughs> thunder crash. A thunder crash of splash. Yeah. Of uh, jizzy, jizzy chi. Mm. Well, I, I, I aim for the t-shirt. I do. I usually aim for the uh, pineal gland, but I might aim for that that magnetite membrane in the nose that the Egyptians used to knock out, so that the pharaoh's spirit could escape his body. There is some fucking wild shit in that book that we didn't even get close to about the design of the Great Pyramid. About oh my god, cymatic experiments with the sarcophagus in the Great Pyramid. Oh my god, uh, earth shattering, absolutely earth shattering. The <laughs> I don't know. Read the no book. spoilers. Read the book. The yeah, the same. It. The very, same. Very good. excited though. Yeah, I am. It was great. Great. Mm. Uh, yeah, so we don't focus chi. What else can you do? How else can you become a producer? Send artwork. Good shout. No artworks this week. No artwork suggestions. If you subscribe to the newsletter or you're in the element server, you know who's coming on the show before everyone else. And then you can submit some artwork. Or you can just submit some generic artwork. That's fine. Yeah. So there's uh, a picture. Yeah, there's a picture. So I knocked this one up this week. Wow. Oh, gosh, that was underwhelmed. <laughs> underwhelming. Wow. Is that a Owen picture Wilson? of sound? That is a cymatic um, distribution. Do you know, have you heard of cymatics? I've seen, like, sand on a drum skin. That's what it is. Yeah. You you get um, a medium. Might be steel, steel plates. A, a medium of a steel plate. You scatter something on it. Could be sand, iron filings some small particle, you play certain frequencies and the, the sand dances and forms geometric patterns um, depending on the frequency that you supply to the material. It's and that similar is, with liquid, isn't it? But less, a bit more sloppy. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And it would be mad if someone took like a, a drum skin and stuck it over the sarcophagus in Khufu's pyramid and then played some frequencies. Bring the pyramid. That might be in the book. Might be in this book here. It might be in that book. And what symbols were generated? Wow. So, um, artwork. We've done artwork. Uh, Guest suggestions. Do that as well. Um, Smash the like button. Hit the share. uh, Tingle the bell. Leave us reviews. Comment. Share. Like. All of that kind of stuff. Just shout our name in the streets. Good. I think that's everything covered, isn't it? Or have we forgotten something? What's the best way to become a producer? Toss us a coin. Toss a Absolutely. coin to your witch. Lads. 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 Oh, because they know what they're doing, Leia. If you go to thearmistinquisition.com uh, or look in the show notes, you'll find a PayPal button there and you give us a one-off donation. Sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. And you get a credit in the show notes. 
mm-hmm. for all these things. If you do any of these things, you get a credit in the show notes. These credits are real. You can put them on your curriculum vitae. Your LinkedIn profile will back you up, producer of episode 280. Yeah, put us down as a reference. Join, <laughs> yeah, join us on LinkedIn. We're on LinkedIn. Mm. We are on LinkedIn, yeah. 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 Okay, right. Shall we thank the producers for episode 280? Yes. If I can find the right thing. It's time! It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. <laughs> producers for episode 280, we have Rona Kesson, Helen, Sam. Nicholas, Ben Limmer, Matthew Chin, and Alaya. Wow. Thank you. It's a Thanks. rollover week. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so are. amazing. Yeah. So amazing in their love and literally the best mate. Dwarf, the current, the grape, the doctor of thugonomics, the homophobe, the wind, the giant fucking lenses, the chest feeding, communist, the, the base sigma chat, the corn pop, guns, the baby penis, inner asshole, these clockwork clowns, the dime bar, the number 11, the bee gun on the bus, the blind man, the big jungus, the cripple, and the mother of money bickering from hell. Oh, Willie G. Are you retarded? Don't get it, never will. Chungus never seems so sus, so sus, so sus. He went to electrical. Thanks for your support for another week. Ah. Brings a tear to my Jap's eye. Gross. Mm. <laughs> so that, I, I mashed up, uh, put some new. Yeah. Some new sounds into the old uh... clockwork clowns. Yeah, the clockwork clowns. Clockwork Again, clowns. you're missing this if you don't listen to the podcast. Yeah. Giant fucking lenses. Giant fucking lenses! <laughs> <laughs> Those clockwork clowns. Wild. What, uh, were you, what were you thinking of when you said the clockwork clowns? That's what they are. It's what Terence McKenna saw in the in the other world. It's the machine elves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the clockwork clowns. <laughs> the DMT clockwork clowns. <laughs> they all float. Exactly. It's like elves, clowns, all the same. Down oh, here. Oh, dear. Hey, Ben, it was your 40th. It was, yeah. Last uh, Sunday. Yes, last Sunday. Well, Tuesday, but yeah, Sunday we had a bash, didn't we? It was a good party. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I had a great time. We some people. We played. Played music. We did. We played music in a, in a band situation. Yeah. Yeah, first time for years. I mean, same for you, no? Since before the yeah, pandemic? Yeah, I think our gig was the last one, yeah, before the pandemic, yeah. Yeah, so we got, got some of the old guard together. The Bands old guard? With, yeah, yeah, people we played with in the past, Aaron and Aaron. Jake. There is video footage, and, uh, well, I put I put one little video on the Element server. Right, okay. And I was I was contemplating putting some, like, into <clears throat> YouTube shorts or something. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't have time this week. Maybe, no. I, maybe I will if people are interested. Yeah, it was, oh, it was a good gig. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. It. It's, it's, it goes so quick, though, doesn't it? It does. It does. With gigs. Yeah. You're on, you're up. Next. Yeah. And there were three um, three acts. Three acts, yeah. I've got a clip here from the uh, the third act. A video third clip. Act? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember this? Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Oscar and wait. That's my favourite bit. I could just I could watch this all day. It just gets funnier to me. It just gets funnier every time. I'm loving it. Oh, that's enough. Oh, oh bless her. God. Yeah, so she cost twelve hundred quid. Twelve hundred quid. Yeah, it was a it was a good three hour set though, wasn't it? It's fresh yet, isn't it? Oh my god. Oh, you gotta love the internet, haven't you? Mm. Oh Jesus. Right, um, the other big... Oh, gosh, I forgot in the housekeeping. I, I meant to mention, um, you know, we had uh, the last... Was it the last live show we did? We was with Bernie Taylor, I think, was it? Bernie, was it the uh, Bernie Taylor one? Oh, was it? Or do we have someone after him? Was it Richard Harris? No. Well, well, in whatever case, do you remember Bernie kept saying um, that we got the jump on America? Yeah. The Re- America released the Bernie Taylor episode mm-hmm. uh, since we last streamed live. I've got a little clip here. Oh, before I forget, I want to mention something. Bernie Bernie sent me something. He thinks he might have made an actual um, a, a mistake reading the quote. And uh, and and the Amish Inquisition got the drop on us on this because we hang on, we hung on, we had too many episodes in the can, so we hung on to this. So congrats to the Amish Inquisition. We'll see hmm. them one day at Contact at the Castle. Nice. Oh, Contact at the Castle. What's Contact? Is that Lancaster Castle? Uh, I don't know which castle it will be. Oh, right, okay. But, yeah, they've been planning a... Because they do these events all through the year. Yeah. Like uh, eight events, maybe, per year, get-togethers across America. And they're they're planning a big one. They're planning a big one in the UK, but who knows when. Are we on the bill, or are we just guests? Oh, I don't know. I think we'd have to pay to go. We'll find out. I'll fuck that, then. Uh, thanks for the shout out, Graham. Yeah, Much nice one. Cheers, guys. Mm. We lo- I love Grime America. It's one of my favourite podcasts. I've been listening for probably All a right, decade. You don't have to over egg it. A decade now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, mad, mad, uh, giant fucking lenses. They do well. They giant fucking lenses. It's a lot. Oh, dear. Right. I forgot. I, I was going to do something else. Oh, the last big event. Uh, the other big event last weekend, other than your birthday, there was a coronation, no? Oh, yeah. well, holy shit! King sausage that fingers, yeah. King sausage fingers, Charles the Third, mm. and uh, I've got this clip because you know um, uh, Katy Perry was on mm. the bill, and Lionel Richie was on the bill, mm. and they're judges on American Idol. Are they? Well, yeah, right. Okay, and I've got a clip from American Idol from this week here. Ryan, it, what a party, what a party. It was unbelievable. It was incredible, and we're here for the Coronation Concert at Windsor Castle. Now, we're trying to figure out what can we do to bring some something different to the show. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, if, uh, I would like to... Uh, <clears throat> Katie, I just want oh. Kate, excuse me. I, oh. I just, yes, uh, what are you saying? Oh, he's not coming oh, on, is he? Fought through a microphone. That's my man! <laughs> Come on! Oh, yes. I Goodness! Surprise! I have a surprise. Oh, God. It is all night long. 
No, I will not. Because I just wanted to check um, uh, how much, how long you'll be using this room for. God. <laughs> oh, so job. cringeworthy. Mm. Oh, yeah, well, it reminds me of, uh, it always reminds me of this meme. Give me, <laughs> give me something for the cringe and let me die. <laughs> <laughs> We have to give the room up just, right please, away. I just wanted to check. Thank anyway. you so much for coming. No, oh. but thank you so much for your brilliant performance. And thank you. It was wonderful. It really was. Are we making too much noise? We're both here. Don't wait, wait, now. Stop talking over each other. Don't talk no. over the king. <laughs> king sausage fingers, Charles III. But, but we understand there's a party. Ah, uh, you've heard about that, have you? Well, you're throwing the party to right well next door. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so we better, had you not better take you to the party? But you're busy with all well, these other things. Well, as soon as we finish, we're, we're coming to the party. We're coming to the party. You think so? Right. Well, thank well, you, you for stopping. Bless you. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. So much. We love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations. Thank you very much. It's fucking tragic, that, isn't it? It's tragic. You know what's going on here? You know what's happening? Is it the secret state behind the US? <laughs> Is it clockwork clowns? I think it's a quid pro quo. Quid, quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. With ABC, between ABC and the monarchy. They, had, mm. they were both performing. They're mm. the two of the judges. Mm. And, you know, Charles approaches them, says, can you come play my coronation? And ABC go, well, what's in it for us? You're going to have to do something for us. Can we, like, film a little piece? Where you come and fucking debase yourselves and humiliate yourselves and record this piece for uh, American Idol. Like the Queen did with mm. BBC and Paddington Bear. Yeah, or that uh, opening ceremony, Olympic uh, yes. Games. Yes, the Olympic Games, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was uh, uh, a complete cringe fest. It was a bit awkward to watch. Maybe I'm just being cynical, but I, you won't get them to do that. I mean, the other part of me is is that like Lionel Richie. I mean, you can have him at your. You could have had him at your fortieth for two hundred grand. He'll he'll yeah. do anything. He'll yeah. play anywhere. It's two hundred grand. That's the price. How much he is? Yeah, yeah. Forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have that farting later. Hey, what? Which one? This one. He got a lot of stick, you know, Lionel Richie, for his performance. Did you see that online? Is he not like fucking 80? (laughs) Oh, I don't know how old he is. I would have thought thought 70. I think he's mid 70s. I mean, he was, how old was he in the early 80s? Had he not been through the Concords or something? His ceiling dancing days are over. (laughs) Commodore. Commodore. (laughs) Same thing. Clockwork clowns. That's that priest guy, isn't it? Vicar, what's his name in the communards? Oh, what's his name? Commodores. Yeah. Commodores, Communards. Lionel Richie and the Commodores. Yeah. And then he was Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling. Right. Not anymore, though. He's too old for that shit. Yeah. It's too old, yeah. He got a lot of flat. People were saying he was like out of tune and stuff during the performance and whatnot. I've got a clip here as, uh, to demonstrate. How are we going to judge? You can judge yet? You're not going to eat me! <laughs> <laughs> know what you come to do but I come to praise the name Lord Lord mm. <clears throat> no that wasn't Lionel Richie that was obviously Eddie Murphy Eddie or Senior Murphy. Hall well was it yeah all oh, right okay 
But yeah, yeah, it's Eddie Murphy film, one of the greatest comedies I assumed, ever. I assumed Eddie Murphy played all of the characters, oh, even Arsenio Hall. <laughs> nah, they, they split him. They split him. Arsenio Hall did a lot of the, like in the barbershop scenes. And, oh, right. I thought he did all of them. No. Yeah, that was sexual chocolate. Yeah. Them, them boys good. <laughs> them boys good. Yeah, that wasn't really Lionel Richie. Here he, here's the actual clip. Sorry. It's just a musical adventure tonight, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I, I pitched that well. You did it. I wanted that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so... uh, (laughs) All right, let's move on, because it's nearly uh, half ten. We need to start wrapping this shit up. (sighs) Yeah, of a show called Whatever. (coughs) Whatever. Nope. It's like a video podcast thing. I'm sure if you're ever on Twitter, you'll see odd clips of it. And it's this guy. It's like a roundtable thing, and it's usually a group of millennial ladies. And it's like a conversation. They get their opinions on things, and it's kind of uh, voyeuristic Mm. in that respect. So... So, you know, trying to understand how these vapid people think. Sorry, I won't, that was an unchargeable thing to say. Oh. Uh, no, yeah, that was nasty. But it's um, these people are obviously selected to be on this show because of views that they have. Because of their vapidity. Well, it's porn. It's 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 what do you call it? Yeah, it's like va- vapidity porn. It's the same reason why they select people to go into Big Brother or that shit show. You know, married at first wedding site. Oh, I have to start. I have to start watching it. Your real, reality TV isn't reality. It's very carefully manicured. People are selected. The producers fuck with them all. Right, that guy with a penis on his arm. Penis went black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't do drugs. Do okay, not. Just, don't, do, don't do penis drugs. No. Yeah, just penis off my arm, please. Mm. So anyway, I've got a clip from uh, whatever. When, and it's sort of the start of the show, they go around the table and they introduce it themselves, basically, and then they get into the meat of the issue. Hi, I'm Kiko. I'm 23. Uh, I go to UCSB and I also bartend. Oh, God. That's so bad. Hey, she's um, coming massive now. She's massive now. What do you mean she's massive? She's massive. She's, be- <laughs> she's becoming a star. She's taken this appearance on this show and she's monetizing it. Right. And she's growing her, you know, she's going to become one of these influencers. Okay. In On Tatooine. Although <laughs> <laughs> you fell for that. <laughs> No, it's true. I saw her, like a, an Instagram video she did. Uh, I imagine that she's probably snatched that opportunity exactly to, to yeah. make something of it. You've got to monetize your internet fame, haven't you? As quickly it's... as you can, your clickbait. God, it's so. She was a it's... big lady, wasn't she? It's so exploitative. It's exploitative. It's what it is. Big unit. And is I'm it what... exploiting it now. Yeah, is the one? Is this like one of these shows? There's one called like Pearly Something. Yeah, and it's yeah. like they talk to. It's normally women about why, like, high 
worse men would find them attractive or something. That's generally the topic of conversation. Looking for sugar daddies. She was on trigonometry recently. The early, whole stuff that. Early something. Yeah. <clears throat> She's got like a big following, hasn't she, from what I've seen? Uh, yeah, I don't see the attraction to these shells, man. But they're massive, you know. Yeah, mm. lots of views. But again, I'm saying it's exploitation and it's, it's some oh, sort yeah. of weird porn. Some yeah. weird fetishization, uh, voyeuristic thing. It's like... I don't know if it's Schadenfreude, is it? It's not. Yeah, it's similar. Yeah, shameful joy. It's like I don't know if you you're getting enjoyment out of these people being pilloried and dragged over the coals for their, you know, their views or whatever, or their assumptions. I guess it is, isn't it, about the world and you know their worth and all that kind of stuff, um, to make yourself feel better, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, a couple of clips left. Uh, have we got time? Quickly, Peter Thiel. You're familiar with Peter Thiel from Thiel Capital? Uh, no. Founder. Is he related to Simon Mauve? <laughs> Zing. <laughs> T-H-I-E-L. Okay. Co-founder of PayPal. And yeah. uh, he's, he's got some, some scheme. Do you remember Captain America? The Marvel hero who defied... This is Weon, by the way, obviously. Ah, Wielding World World One News. ...mortality woke up after 70 years and survived being frozen all that while. What if I told you that this could happen in real life as well? And that Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal, has signed up for something similar. What is this all about? And why would he do that? <laughs> Our next report telling you. Oh. Is it possible to defy mortality? The fact that we are going to die one day. The fact that our life comes... Maybe before the end of this podcast, the rate they talk on, we on, innit? <laughs> talk about dragging it out. Mm. I could really uh... been paying by the hour, these guys, or what? Like Graham Norton last night, announcing Sweden is the winner. Yeah, yeah, he proper cowled it, didn't he? Simon cowled it. You're fired. I think I could listen That's... to we on going to sleep. Yeah, no. nice. Almost like what's that thing? ASMR, mm. MSR, ARSM, ASMR, BDSM. Let's get my hair cut. With an expiry date, only makes us human. But what if there was a way to defy death? What if what worked for Captain America could work for us in real life? This method is called cryogenic preservation. What exactly does it mean? What does it have to do with PayPal co-founder Peter Thiel? Cryogenic freezing is a process which is performed on dead humans. For this process to be performed, an individual needs to sign up for it in advance. It is a type of low temperature free... <laughs> no shit. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't want it doing without consent, would you? And you can't give consent after you've died. <laughs> <laughs> Freezing carried out by a medical team that stores the organic remains of the body using ice water. The dead body is then oxygenated using masks and is put on a machine similar to a heart-lung bypass. With it so far? Yeah. So has he been frozen and then he's going on a, 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 a like a, a bypass machine? That's what it sounds like, yeah. It's old tech. They just run antifreeze through your veins, keep you cold. Yeah, we're coming to that. Antifreeze. Can I, I continue? Yeah. 
This is done to circulate blood and maintain oxygen. A solution is pumped into the dead body, which essentially works like an antifreeze. This is done to stop body tissues from turning into ice crystals, so that there is minimum structural damage. The body is then placed in a liquid nitrogen chamber at a temperature as low as my... No, it's not one of my weird accents. Helen. <laughs> minus 320 degrees Fahrenheit. Once it is cold enough, the body is transferred to a thermos-like tank filled with liquid nitrogen, where it'll stay for the foreseeable future. What happens next? These bodies wait in these tanks until medical technology is able to revive them. Among those who have signed up for this process is billionaire Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal. Thiel has agreed to be cryogenically preserved when he dies. When asked about the same, he responded saying... Yes, but I think of it more as an ideological statement. I don't know... Fucking hell, he's started speeding up now. I know, yeah. AI is... Uh... Do you think that's an AI voiceover? I think it might be. I don't think they were that good. Could be. Pardon me. ...necessarily expected to work, but I think it's the sort of thing we're supposed to try to do. This technology costs roughly around $28,000. Oh, fucking cheap, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Are you retarded? $28,000 per... So. It just says that. That's it. it. Doesn't say per year or anything. It's cheap, isn't it? The, um, yeah, it can't be right. That it must no, be an a, annual fee, a day, or a, a, or a monthly fee. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't Walt Disney got his head frozen? That's what the story I've heard. It's yeah. going to grow yeah. like spider legs out. Like the th- is it Darth thing? Maul? Well, Futurama. Futurama. Yeah. Is he not in a jar or something? Futurama. In a jar. Yeah. The, yeah. Or a plumbus. Uh, yeah. Different show. I'd love a plumbus per person. But after spending such a hefty amount, why is Peter Thiel skeptical about its success? The thing about this technology is that it is still a work in progress. There are three major challenges that it faces. One, it needs to repair... Reprogramming yourself with ninja skills, yeah. like Simon Phoenix. Would yeah. Be, uh, I'd want that. I'm going to be frozen. Well, I was just thinking about, again, everything comes back to Demolition Man again. Or Total Recall, one or the yeah. other, innit? What happens yeah. if he gets hit by a bus? Are they just going to scrape stuff up into a freezer <laughs> bag? Is that what he's saying? Uh, freeze, yeah. freeze the mush. <laughs> Put the antifreeze we'll in the mush. We'll fix this later. <laughs> yeah, he'll have to wait a bit longer until <laughs> we've found out how to demushify you. Would you rather have your <laughs> consciousness uploaded to the internet or your body preserved? <laughs> Pass, neither. There's no, there's fact, no the, well, the first one's impossible. Yeah. And uh, the second one. I mean, it's like, what if they get it wrong when they try and reanimate you? I mean, you're just going to be a, an empty vessel. You're not going to have a soul or a personality or anything. It's what just if the check bounces. Oh, gosh, no. It'll turn you off in like 300 years. <laughs> you know, this is a problem. It goes back to our earlier conversation with David is um, we're so terrified now of our mortality. We've lost this entire component of what it means to be human through this materialistic stuff that has, has emanated from the last 200 years. And it has these people terrified. And look what happened during the Soviet Union. And that was all, you know, fuel to that fire, I would say. There's something <sighs> special about us, and one of the special things is that we're not immortal. And once you become immortal, that ends... It's like, I can't believe I wouldn't want to come back after I'd died. Part of the, part of the idea is, is that you have to give way yeah. to the next generation. 
Stop taking up room, you old twat. You're going to wake up or whatever. <laughs> You'll still have a dodgy knee. Fucking hell, could you not fix this? Oh and everyone you've ever known will be long dead anyway. So, mm. It's horrific. It's, it's a horrific idea. It's so it's narcissistic, the word. It's not. I, I don't think it's narcissistic. I think it's just terrified. They're, they're just terrified. They're scared. Because they think that, you know, it's just a a black abyss. When the light goes out, they've nothing to look forward to in that regard. Man. And maybe they're right, but mm, I don't know. I want a Viking funeral. Yeah. Or at least an open pyre in a forest somewhere. You definitely want to be burnt. You don't want to be buried. No, I need that pineal gland cracking. God, you've heard those stories about them um, exhuming coffins and there being scratch marks on the lid. <laughs> oh, that's excellent, but also terrifying. Yeah. Cremated, that's what I would say. Get it over with. Stick me in the mausoleum. <laughs> just in case you're not dead. Mm. Weird things happen sometimes and people just come back. You know, I've heard so many stories of people uh, waking up on gurneys in body bags. They've just you've been pronounced dead. They've been put in a fridge and then 12 hours later, they just come round. There was one this year and it was some old deer and she lasted for like another day and then she died the second time. Gross. After being put in a morgue. The second leaving. At least, you know, she wasn't buried. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's a terrible way to go. Unless she'd accidentally been reincarnated into her old body. It was like a clerical error. (laughs) Yeah, misfire. Yeah. A pineal misfire. Right. Come on, quick. Evian. Big scandal with Evian. Evian drinking water this week. Water. Oh my god, no, I've got to show you this monstrosity that I've just been through. Bottled water. I like to drink bottled water because I prefer the taste, not because I'm a snob, right? I look online and there's this amazing deal, loads of Evian, Evian bottles of water for so cheap. And I, I go to my mum, look how cheap this is. We can't miss this out. Like we've got to get that. So something gets delivered, this gets delivered. What on God's earth is gonna fit in that? What Evian bottle is going to fit in that? I'll show you what Evian bottle is going to fit in that. This. These Evian bottles. That is not even going to saturate Rice crispy, let alone myself. Is it even real water? I doubt it. It's yellow. Let me tell you, I've got three words for these bottles. What a joke. It's unbelievable. What am I going to do with these? Put them on the mantelpiece for decoration? It's just a joke. Wow. Two things. I want some of the small bottles mm. immediately. But when she held up the bottle at the start, it said, naive. Well, that's heavy and backwards. Yeah, I know. That's... I was... Were you going to raise that? Sorry. No, I was going to say, if you drink bottle water, <laughs> you're heavy on backwards. Uh, I, I think um, there is a, a place for mineral water. Yeah. It's probably better for you than tap water. Mm. I don't know. I don't know, because they put all sorts of shit probably in tap I water. I drink don't need. exclusively... Antacid tainted bay water. <laughs> what a joke. What a joke. What a joke. <laughs> oh gosh, right. Um it's nearly it's time to go. Two Bidenisms to end with. <clears throat> Boom. Yeah. Go on then. He's talking about being uh, re-elected. And turn turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attack. Anyone else hearing that yes, in Mono? Just left. Alright, it'll be fine on the stream. I think. Oh, shit. And turn, turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks into one about what we're for because we cannot get reelect. We cannot win this reelection. 
Excuse me, we can only re-elect Donald Trump. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Just fucking... He needs to be put in a coffin, doesn't he? And turn, turn this primary from a campaign that's about negative attacks into one about what we're for, because we cannot get re-elect... We cannot win this re-election. Excuse me, we can only re-elect Donald Trump. <laughs> Three times, he said. He was going to lose. He just gets muddled, doesn't he? I'll either be rolling egg or you know, being the, 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 you know, the guy who's pushing him out. He's either rolling the egg or pushing it out. Are you retarded? Too <laughs> 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 <Did he> well. He's <laughs> trying <laughs> fucking lenses. What a joke. Exactly. Okay, oh, last one. Uh, he was talking about the the positive impact that certain um, Asian women have had on American culture. Danger, danger zone, danger. Will Robinson, <laughs> <laughs> such as uh, Vera Wang. Yeah. Right. Okay. Is it a fashion designer? No? Yeah, she is yeah, yeah. fashion. I know, I know the name. I assume she was a designer of some sort, and uh, they were honoured. Uh, she was honoured recently at the White House. Anyway, that's uh, beside the point. Yeah, the positive effect of. Asian women on American culture. Take it away, Joe. I honored a group of trailblazing artists <clears throat> with National Medal. Sorry. <laughs> what? It's just a, it's a fuck fest. This it's trumble. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, it's tripping off everything. I honored a group of trailblazing artists with National Medals of Arts and Humanities. The group included groundbreaking Asian Americans like Vera Wang. And 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 Joan oh. Shengang, sh- I'm going to pronounce it right. Shanga Koawa. <laughs> I think I pronounced it correctly. Shengang, sh- I'm going to pronounce it right. Shanga. So swim, swimmy, slippy, slappy, swimming. Shanga. And these guys, I mean, they're having fun now, but my goodness, they've also got a dark side. Absolutely. <laughs> we got a dark side. It's time to fuck off into the night. Yes. yes. Well, we'll see you uh, next week for more fun and mm. games. Atlantis next week. Again? Woo! Yeah, but a different take this next week. Dip your toes in. Are we <laughs> finally going to hit the aliens? Oh. I don't know. I don't know. Um, oh. So there's a different take. Zoom's still open. Go in. Fuck Graham Hancock! <laughs> oh, uh, right then, hope you're entertained. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Are you not entertained? I love you. We'll be back next week. Thanks for watching. Thank you for watching. Do all the things in the show notes in the housekeeping section, now. Yeah. Do that. Stay at the Hilton. Get your toast set. Yeah, oh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Big job. Right, sayonara. Goodbye. I love you. What did you do with Big Jungus? Won't <laughs> 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 you take it out? These clockwork clowns. I think you're hitting hitting the point, Phil. That uh. <clears throat> What, what, what a baby. What a big baby. Just get on with the game. Baby. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds, um... Ah! It really bothers me. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. What a joke.